Buongiorno and welcome to my podcast, my way thinking all my what for sure, hosted here live from the Man Cave every week by me, Lee Greeno. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, I know we're still in lockdown, it's a bit crappy at the minute, but yesterday um, I had some real positivity. Uh, one of my best friends, 84-year-old man, uh, lovely guy, war veteran, He, uh, I took him for his vaccine yesterday. What a lovely thing, light at the end of the tunnel, we are getting somewhere. So through all the doom and gloom, we will come out the other side and it's important that Everybody remembers that. I know it's hard. I know it is, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's so important that we're getting the most vulnerable um, vaccinated. So good stuff. Okay, now more I think is all about us, amazing human beings that all have a story to tell. And those stories can vary massively. But with a guest I'll be interviewing, you'll always be able to take a little bit of advice or insight into how extraordinary we can all be. Remember, there's only four rules. One, no bullshitting. Two, no judging. Three, no negativity. And four, have fun. Now, today I'm talking to the brilliant Mark Edwards. Uh, Mark's a lovely guy. He is the CEO and founder of Boss Equity and Outsmart. But basically, he deals with big deals. <laughs> he's uh, He's got such a wealth of knowledge and experience. And it's amazing how you can relate through his life story and where he got to today, you can relate some of the lessons he's learned uh, with life lessons throughout lots of different industries or just life itself. And even though he's dealing with these million pound uh, deals, he's still got to put himself across. He's selling himself, which, which we talk about and communication and everything like that. And he's also got a love of photography as well, which is, which is great for me. So yeah, make sure you listen all the way through. It is a great podcast. So this is me talking to Mark. Right. So welcome to my way of thinking. Very special guest today. All the way. Where are you, Mark? You're in London. Just outside London, actually, in Sawbridgeworth, which is in Hertfordshire. Ah, right. So we've got Mark yeah. Edwards with us today. Boss Equity, look, lies in the background of the studio. Looks nice, that does, doesn't it? Very, very yeah. impressive. And, and I mustn't forget Outsmart as well, because that's the other business oh. that we may yes. talk about. Yeah, so it's we'll Boss talk. Equity and Outsmart. Yeah. So what's the weather been like down, down south today then, Mark? Dull and miserable. <laughs> Raining, <laughs> grey, <laughs> wet. I'll tell you what, it's quite funny today because I, I had to go into work early this morning, sort of six o'clock. And I'm a, I'm a bit of a boy, motorbiker, not, you know, I haven't got long hair or heavy metal. I just, I have got a, like a bit of a hobby with motorbikes. So I thought I'll go today because it looks right. dry. Bloody hell this morning. Oh my God. My hands were like icicles. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm wearing my snood. I'm, fr- I'm oh, still right. cold. I've got to warm me up. I know. I've just come on the camera. I've got a spot on my nose. I'm a rotten mess. Tell you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I think I'm going to have to put it away until the I'm summer looking, now. I'm looking very unshaven today, and I don't normally, but I'm growing a beard at the moment, so it looks like I've just got out of bed. To me, this is, feels very unnatural. You look like you're way hey, ahead of me, but hey, um, I very now, rarely have a beard. Well, it's because I've got nothing up here, you see, so I have to grow it down here. <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it funny the way that COVID's changed sort of the way we're living in that? Loads of it guys is. are growing beards now, aren't they? It's sort of it's, hibernation. It's a bit of a fa- yeah, it's a bit of a fashion thing as well. I think it's become more popular. I've always been clean shaven, so I thought oh, I'd just are. try it. I've, I think I've tried it once before and I found yeah. it a bit irritating. So I thought I'll give it another go. See I if think I can it'll suit you. you got a bit of grey going in there as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, looks makes me look more experienced, doesn't it? Yeah, That's what you're like. I know what you mean. <laughs> anyway, right. <laughs> anyway, before I um, we talk all about you, Mark, I just wanted to talk about a couple of stories that I spotted this morning. I always look at the news. No doubt you do, and it's pretty miserable at the minute. So we always mm. look at a couple of fun or interesting stories. Now, sure. I don't know if you know, because you're, uh, you're London way, Gordon yep. Ramsay has been getting a bit, of, uh, a bit of hassle just lately on social media. Let me tell you about it. So Gordon Ramsay, well known for being critical of other people's food, um, he started sharing a look at his dishes for Christmas on social media. Uh, and he posted his Christmas dinner for the Bread Street Kitchen in London. Have you been there? No. Okay. No. Well, the video shows a plate of um, turkey wellington, pigs in blankets, cabbage, and chopped up sprouts. Uh, and he's had some good people, good opinions. People have said this looks good, but other people have been really critical. Uh, one said, "No Yorkshire puddings, no cauliflower cheese, no stuffing, gravy thinner than my nan's arm." <laughs> and then another guy said, "Fetch me some proper gravy. That's uh, a pan of piss." And then another one said, this grave is too thin. It looks like Bisto. <laughs> now, the, the, bit, the thing that shocked me the most is um, the Bread Street Kitchen Christmas Day menu costs £140 per person um, and fe- features a number of different things, including starters and things like that. But I thought that's a bit poor from Gordon. No Yorkshire puddings. What do you reckon? Well, I suppose he's, he, he perhaps doesn't want to be totally traditional. and. Um... Uh, probably some people won't like that. He's also, he's, he's always quite controversial, isn't he? I mean, that's oh, no. part of his persona. Um, oh, no. I, think I mean, I, I always think that the, the chefs that go onto TV, yeah. I suppose they're putting themselves in the spotlight to be shot at, really. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Oliver, yeah. who I think sort of comes from near my way, sort of East London, um, He's had some failures with the the different restaurants that he's he's put up. I mean, he's he's good as a, a TV personality chef. But... I just think I don't know. He's charging a lot of money, and I just think sometimes these posh restaurants. And I've met quite a few chefs. I met uh, Marco Pierre White, who was a miserable bastard, if I'm honest. Uh... I've, I've met him as well, actually. <laughs> oh, have you? I what? How was yeah, he he was, he was, no, he was okay. He was actually, I stayed at one of his hotels, a new hotel. Yeah. And he just happened to be at there with his family. Yeah. And I literally walked into him. Um, and he liked my car, so he was quite friendly. Oh. Ah, there you go, see. Yeah. He, he obviously, he didn't like me for some reason. Um, <laughs> I went to one of his restaurants. It, it was all right. It was okay. But again, I just think the price you're paying. I love a good meal. And the thing with lockdown, not being able to go to restaurants where we are at the minute, that really gets to me. Um, I love a good meal. But I just think sometimes when they're charging that amount of money, I think if it's, if it, it's got to be beautiful, you know. But anyway. Yes, that's... it sets your expectations. I must admit, to be fair to him, though, yeah. staying at his hotel, the food was brilliant. No, it was, was very, it? very good. So my experience, yeah. and it was only a small hotel, yeah. Um, one of the reasons of going there was that he had, the hotel was fitted out with lots of photographic art. Oh, nice. He, um, yeah, he had some images by Bailey and so on. So it was a nice experience. Yeah. I think when it lives up to your experience, then, you know what I mean, you're happy. And then the other story that caught my eye, just thinking, obviously, the time of year we are, um, there's a single mum on here uh, talking about her experience with having to deliver over 100 parcels a day 
and left no time for her family. Uh, she quit her job, said she was feeling like she was dying inside. Laurie Simmons, her name is, 45. She gritted her teeth to carry on. She's a single mother. Uh, but she was feeling really depressed and anxious. She said she'd load the car up at sort of 8 o'clock, work flat out until 6 p.m., um, and then get home, hardly see her kids. Uh, and I think payment-wise, it was something ridiculous. It was like 50p, 50p for a packet or a pound for heavy parcels. There's a picture of a front living room just full of these parcels. And I just thought, you know, see, we get all these, you know, Amazon Prime and everything gets stacked up. We've been ordered loads ourselves. And you forget these delivery drivers, they're working bloody hard for the money, aren't they? Yes, especially now. I mean, uh, with people not going to shops, there's been that trend for a number of years. Um, but I, I mean, I rarely go to the shops now to actually yeah. buy anything. It's everything's online. Yeah. So there's a lot of people involved. I suppose, I suppose at the moment it's supply and demand. If they can get people to work at very low rates, they will. Yeah, yeah, which is a shame because they do do a great job. So, I mean, luckily my wife, she imports from China um, and uh, she's been busier than ever because, of course, like you say, everyone's just online now. Um, yes. Prime Amazon's just... I was actually, funnily enough, I was speaking to Santa yesterday yes I and, heard about this. oh yeah about this. so yeah <laughs> yes. it's, it's going out sunday so don't say anything uh, right. and it, it was a cracking chat all the way from lapland and I, one of the questions was is amazon prime seeing you out of business <laughs> <laughs> he was saying amazon prime can be late he says i'm never late oh well, there you go Santa. <laughs> Yeah. You do have extremes, don't you? You go from Santa to me. <laughs> well, I thought it'd just be nice for kids, some kids. It's free, and you can go on YouTube and watch it. And yeah, Santa was was brilliant. Anyway, Roy, let's talk about you now, Mark. So, thanks so much for coming on the show. Obviously, I've do, I've done a read. Uh, I've read about what you're up to and what what you're doing, which is fascinating stuff. But sure, how, what I'm really interested in is where this came from. So, if you tell us a little bit about growing up and how sort of whether you went college or uni, you, you tell me. Well, um, where I got to here, I suppose if I look at both businesses, I'm a, a software strategist. Yeah. So working in mergers and acquisitions and um, positioning and marketing and communications. Um, how I got here is, I, I wonder it myself actually, because being involved in M&A, when you say M&A, just tell us what that is. Mergers, mergers and acquisitions. So yeah. we, we work on behalf of our client to sell their business, obviously, yeah. for as, as much as we can uh, get, it, get for them. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people in that industry, they tend to come from financial accounting banking. Tell us a bit how you, how you got into that. Was it something... Because so, the reason I say it is obviously you said some people are into financials and things like that. I'm always interested in someone, if you were at school and you... You, you all was always interested in numbers, or do you know what I mean? Yes. No, that definitely wasn't me. I, I always wanted to be a photographer. I remember really starting to get into photography when I was about 11 years of age. Yeah. Did photography at school. I found it was uh, a way that when they had certain drama shows on and things, I could get out of the classes that I didn't enjoy. Um, my father liked photography, and he taught me the, sort of, the technical side of it. Yeah. And then I started reading, so that was my ambition. Uh, I went to college, did a, a general art foundational course, and then I spent three years studying photography. 
Right. Uh, and really enjoyed it. I did a City and Guilds, and then in my final year, I had an exhibition of my own work, and wow. I won a competition, International Salon of Photography, where I was um, I was the, the winning student photographer. And wow. I thought I was launched. I was going to be a photographer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did photography for a few years. I worked in London in some of the advertising studios. Um, I worked locally. But I actually was quite frustrated by it. Um, it wasn't what I expected. And I don't think I was prepared from a business sense as right. to what photography was all about. You know, I could sell myself, I think. Yeah. I worked very hard to you know, get the work in the various studios. And I started off as an assistant photographer. Yeah. I remember over a period of a few weeks, I hand wrote a hundred letters to different studios. There used yeah. to be like a creative handbook of photographers. And I went through picking out all the best studios, writing to them. And in fact, yeah. one, of the, one of the letters that I did get a response from was Lord Snowden, who oh, hand wrote wow. back to me. Yeah. Beautiful letter he wrote yeah. back to me. I was always very impressed that he would take time out to uh, respond to some student writing to him. Wow. And it's, it's quite funny you say that, because obviously my creative side is I'm, I'm a filmmaker and writer. And, and, uh, and, but it's always so difficult to get into something creative, don't you think? Like yes. artist or photography or filmmaking. Uh, yep. and it's such a passion. But the reality is to do it as a living is bloody hard. You need a, a bit of luck. You need, you know, hard work, perseverance. And even then, you might not make it. Is that sort oh, of the thing that stood in your way? Uh, I think... Initially, it was, I, I wanted to be a photographer because I wanted a creative outlet. And with where I was starting out in photography, you didn't get much of that. You'd mm. get an art director who would be on your shoulder. I remember taking some photographs of um, some, some jewels. They actually brought security guards with them because they were quite yeah. valuable. So we had the security guards there watching every move that everyone took. And I had an art director who was literally on my <laughs> shoulder, move it to the left, move it to the right. And we were ending up with images that I just didn't feel like they were mine. Mm. And I thought, you know, what's this all about? Yeah. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I imagined. And I think that probably in those days, if the colleges had... Uh, done some work experience where you had the opportunity yeah. to get out there. I think I would have been better prepared and yeah. perhaps I would have had a bit more of a realistic expectation. And I, I would persevere. I did. I mean, I persevered for a few years yeah. doing it, but then I decided, wow, this is in, an inf incredibly hard to earn a good living. Yeah. yeah. Um, thing with, with the creative arts is a lot of people are willing to do it for nothing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that, that initiate that brings down the value um, and then, then there's more people wanting to do it. It's supply and demand. Yeah. And the difficulty is, as well, being creative, you want to give your own voice. So you want to take your own photos. I want to do my own films and write. And But the reality is you can't because and the only way you can do that is once you've made a platform for yourself. Yes. But to make a right. platform, your creativity yeah. is sort of bound by the money man or the artistic director, other people. So it's almost, you've got to sell yourself to yes. become yourself. And it's weird, isn't it? It's a weird thing. Yes. I, well, I think 
Yeah, there's a bit of naivety for me at that age that I was expecting more creative freedom than anyone was going to give to me just yeah. starting out in the career of photography. And probably what I needed was a mentor, mm. somebody there to say, well, you know, use your private time to have your own projects where you can go, in, go and do exactly what you want. But you've got to build a reputation and you've got to be patient and you've got to work at it. You've got to keep, keep going, just plug away. Yeah. But I don't regret any of that. Um, you know, I came out of that and, and I got into a, a number of different sales jobs, which actually I enjoyed. And I'd, I'd had some experience, be, again, because of my father in what he did. And uh, he used to be an area main for football pools, if you remember those. And he had yeah. a number of the different ones. And he got me canvassing when I was about 14, knocking on doors, <laughs> building up rounds for people, which was quite quite tough yeah uh, looking back on it I, I don't know if I would get my son 14 year old <laughs> he got me to accompany some of the better canvassers and yeah. then after about three weeks he said there's your clipboard there's there's the forms yeah. off you go um, and it was quite daunting but I think it was a good experience for me I bet you were earning uh, good good money for 14 as well you know you know any amount of money that you earn at that age is great isn't it yes that's right yeah anything at that age is good isn't it i can't remember actually I, yes i think it was reasonable I've, I've always done something you know before that i cleaned cars um that that was probably my first business yeah. so there, I, I had an entrepreneurial aspect to my to my personality something that i wanted to do so i knew that I was interested in photography. I, I wanted my own business. Um, I got experience of sales. I mean, I worked when I was first married, I worked for um, W&T Avery selling electronic scales and tills. Yeah. Um, and that involved cold calling, knocking oh, on butchers God. and greengrocers. And that, that was quite fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, you learn a certain amount of resilience. Yeah. I think that was that was very useful. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking at some stage, I want my own business. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to do well in, you know, whatever I did, whatever organization. And at Avery, the good thing there was that it was a big organization. They, they had um, structured training and lots of other salespeople oh, you learn okay. from your peers. Yeah. And, you know, I had lots of funny experiences working with them and I had lots of times when it was it was very testing yeah I've always been interested in that it's one thing I've never done is sales um but if it's always interested me because if you get a good salesman you don't forget that salesman and I'm just I don't know what I suppose you think about when you get a car or something like that that that's yes. typical if you have a bad experience it really rocks you what what do you think the key is to selling or or being a salesman? Because I suppose that word's a bit crappy, isn't it, salesman? All what is, you're trying to do yeah. is improve someone's life. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, it's um, that's a good question. I think particularly in the UK, salesman, it, it's not a great word. Um, I think probably a lot of people get into sales because they can't find something else that fits. Mm. Um, and there isn't always the training. And I think a lot of people see sales as, as somebody who's um, 
you know, a bit of a talker and is is manipulating people. And actually, that's the opposite, really. Um, you've yeah. got to be able to talk, but it's not about manipulating people. Um, and it's not necessarily about talking all the time. You've, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth. And they always say a salesman should use them in those proportions. It's It's about listening to that person and helping them quite often facilitate their thinking as to what they really need and to see initially if there's a match. And if there isn't, is to be honest with them and say, you know, you should, perhaps should try it elsewhere. But if there is, is, is then being, I, my approach has always been to more, be more of sort of a consultative salesman. Yeah. Is actually really be able to put myself in their shoes and understand about their business, really understand my product, but listen so that I can understand and help them think through some of the problems that maybe this product or service can address. Yeah, and I suppose that's a nice position to be in because I suppose, you know, I've said car sales just as a, uh, they're always, you know, target driven. Yes. The, the worst thing, when I, if I get sold something, if the person's not genuine, I'll spot it a mile off. Um, yeah. But you're not going to be genuine if you're under pressure to sell. And I suppose the no. best way to sell is when you're not under pressure. Like I say, you are trying to help someone and trying, you're consulting more than pushing a product. Would that be true? Yes, definitely. I think that a lot of salespeople, um, they can be in organizations where if, the, if they're having trouble with the revenue, they blame the salesman. I see that in the software sector a lot. And actually, it could be many other things before you get to the salesman that's causing the, the, the lack of revenue. And quite often, they can be the first sacrifice. Mm. So that does, that does put a lot of pressure on salespeople, and you have to be quite resilient. Um, and also, I think that there's a lot of salespeople out there without sufficient training. Mm. Some people are quite unnaturally salespeople. I've yeah. seen that in the past. Um, but I still think that, uh, you know, sales training can help you to be better. Um, and pressure, yes, definitely. If you've got a lot of pressure, and I, I have, I've heard many times, you know, salesmen being threatened, if you don't hit your target oh. this month, you're out. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It is. And if there isn't enough opportunities, <clears throat> You know, it's marketing and sales very much need to work together. Mm. If the opportunities, if there aren't enough leads, then it can mean that the, the salesman is under pressure to behave in a way that he probably shouldn't be, mm. which is, is trying to sell to people where they're not a great fit. Yeah. yeah. And, and ultimately, that doesn't really work. Yeah. So, so you've started your sales experience, which like you say you've you've done a lot of that which is great which sets you in good stead so then you start to look into computers and things like that tell us a little bit how that how that transition happened mark yeah so uh, first of all i got into the computer sector and i was selling um data storage devices like exabyte tape drives what um, what year was that what where, what years were that mark that would be in the 90s and uh, about 90, 94, 95. So these were, just explain what they were, because obviously back in the uh, 80s is when the computers exploded and we had yeah. floppy, floppy disks. Um, yep. Now it's all USB. What, what, what sort of drives were they? 
Well, I think that occasionally they're still used, but it's mainly it's mainly been uh, superseded by hard disks. So hard disks were much more expensive than they are today. They were much smaller. Yeah. So for things, for for instance, in, in saving large amounts of data that perhaps needed to be archived, they would put it onto tape. So this right. is where they were not needing frequent access, and they would back up perhaps the hard drives and then go and store those uh, in a safe sometimes for security purposes right i see it was just uh it could also be just the pure amount of data they would have to archive and they would even have sort of terabytes of storage that would happen in this this sort of cabinet <laughs> of yeah. tapes now you get it in a little box and back then yeah you where you get it on a, a hard drive now yeah, yeah. <laughs> i actually saw um, an hp hard drive and one of the very early ones where the plates were the size of sort of dustbin lids and it had been made into a desk and and it was about the amount of well less stories than you get on your phone now i mean it's incredible yeah wow <laughs> so, they, so, so they, go on yeah so data data storage and then uh, my next move i got into um document management software and workflow management and that's where i things start really started to become a lot more interesting the cost for hardware was always going to be diminishing i mean more and more storage i was a divisional manager um, for a company tame systems and you were having to sell more and more equipment because the the prices were dropping at 40 percent per year and the, the the amount of storage that you could put onto the high drives was in was increasing drastically and I thought there's only one way this is going to go. It's, you know, it's going to get harder and harder yeah. and the margins were very, very small. So I got into the software sector and I thought yeah. that's more, that's more interest because there you're talking, you're, you're closer to the final solution rather than the data storage is just, just a, just a one part in the jigsaw of that solution. Yeah. And now, so software, it, tell me a little bit about software because obviously where it's hard drives and things like that, as technology moves on, you know, we've just said it, where you can get bigger hard drives and that, that it gets cheaper, you know, same yep. with anything to do with technology. I mean, look at TVs, you know, I remember when a 32 inch, now you've, everyone's got 60 inches and you know, they're not that yes. expensive No, with software. So with software, does the same thing happen or is it a case of upgrading your software? Just tell us a little bit about that. As cost wise, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 it's, it's, it's different. Um, what's happened with software was that in the, the early days, when I first got into the software sector, it was probably more a number of different software components that were being put together for large enterprises so that there would be companies that were very good at, for instance, doing OCR, so optical character recognition, where you could scan uh, documents and convert that to digital information. Um, there would be other companies, you know, obviously doing email like Microsoft. Yeah. And what's happened is that a lot of those solutions, they're converging. So when you buy a solution, there's much more functionality in each, any of those solutions. And also the software solutions become more specialized. Right. You get software developers who develop solutions maybe for say restaurants. Hmm or for mechanics so that you can start to run your business. And some of these solutions literally do mean you can run pretty well any aspect of your business. And it's been written by people that really understand your industry. And that's, that's a sort of one of the, 
the uh, changes that's happening at the moment is yeah. that more much more specialization it's as pretty... well as the generalists like microsoft which mm. you know people have email in yeah. whatever section. It's pretty phenomenal the rate of the way software has gone because I remember when I originally I left school and got into woodworking, I was a chippy and I was a manager of a, a joinery shop. And I moved to a company that was very old fashioned and they had an old manager that was retiring and I was taking over. And they did everything written down, uh, you know, plans, measurements, yes. everything, stuff, paperwork everywhere and i yes. said this is madness and we brought some software in and the change was phenomenal but making that change was bloody difficult because there was a lot of old timers there you know who were amazing yes. carpenters but did not like change um but once it once it changed you know that paperwork disappeared it, the difference when when you can move a, a software and like you say and now because it's specialized the change that you can cause a company must be must be pretty extraordinary, mustn't it? Yes, um, there still is that digital transformation going on. Yeah. I mean, p p the media has been talking about that for probably a couple of decades about the paperless office, um, which definitely hasn't happened in all industries. Yeah. But much much more information originates now in a digital form. Um, Document capture, and in fact, document capture bureaus, I've probably sold more of those bureaus than anybody yeah. um, because of my background, that we used to be scanning paper documents and converting them to electronic documents. That's still quite a big business. There's still yeah. a lot of paper out there, but uh, and probably even more so now with COVID is that that digital transformation, I think, has been speeding up. So... Yeah, there's there's much of it. I think is to do with with mindset. The capability and the solutions have been there for some time. It's breaking people's habits, yeah. and people willing to learn how to use the software. There's a change. Yeah, but but most things now can be done digitally. Do you um, find that part of yourself being a salesman is convincing? Uh, well, not convincing, I suppose that's the wrong word, but showing the, uh, the advantages to people that are not quite sure. Um, well, I don't actually sell software now. I sell the companies that, that develop the software. <laughs> right, okay. That's with Boss Equity. So, um, There's the next level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I suppose I am obviously pro the digital transformation. I think that there are lots of benefits mm. without a doubt um things can be run more efficiently um but i don't think that you can say that universally yeah um there are uh, there are some areas that it's much more difficult to do that yeah um, I mean, and there's bad there's bad software out there as well i mean mm. if you if you convert to a bad solution and that's not necessarily the problem of the software developers it can be it's just a tool at the end of the day it's how that tool is being used yeah and if users haven't been given sufficient training then you know it yeah. maybe it, you could end up in a worse situation for a while yeah if you have a bad experience i mean it's quite interesting with all this covid and everything that's happened i was in the shop a few weeks ago and there was an old boy there um, and he, he only had cash on him and the lady at the till was trying to explain no you, we don't take cash and he was having a right right 
and it was only a few quid. I said, oh, look, I'll, I'll be in the Good Samaritan. I'll pay for it. You sure? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, now he needed that recognition that you, you're going to have to change. But when you do, don't worry. It's almost uh, he was scared to not use yes. cash because of his mindset that, cash is good and do you know what i mean but that's a massive yes. change that's happening in, in in the world isn't it after what's happened this year yes i don't know if the, i don't know if that is something that we're more reluctant to change as we get older i suppose for some people it is um i always have enjoyed learning new things so to me i think that's always quite exciting but i do recognize that it's it is difficult if you've been doing uh, something working in a particular way and if you feel that that change has been th thrust upon you yeah um without you know your your consent i suppose it's it's fairly natural that some people will be resistant to that change yeah um i think it's interesting you know you know to see during the lockdown periods that there's there's now an older generation that are using zoom and they're using skype yeah. when they didn't before um they've probably been forced to do that and i wonder if they're better off now for that yeah i think hopefully they are yeah i think it's lovely when you see you know we've got a couple of older friends and relatives and when they do convert to it they'll never admit to you but they're like actually <laughs> this is yes. pretty good you know i remember yeah, yeah. when we, we we had a few relatives started using facebook and the first thing they said oh social media is terrible dangerous and i said look you don't have to have loads of people. You can just have your mates from down the road, a few people, and we can, we're in a different part of the country. We can send you photos of the family, you know, and, and once they got into it, but the other side of that was what they heard in the media was, you know, social media is terrible. And so yes. I suppose it's how you use the technology, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah, and I think that, that always happens when, whenever there is a... Is a it's like a revolution, really. Wherever there is something that is very impactful upon your lives, there, there's always going to be a degree of resistance. Um, you know, it was the same when electricity came into people's homes. <laughs> yeah. People what were scared of it. <laughs> yes, this electricery. <laughs> oh, these dodgy iPads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you want to stay away from those <laughs> yeah now so obviously you're selling these this stuff this computer software and then i guess that then you decide you want to work for yourself or you want to create these companies where you've got outsmart and boss equity so tell us a little bit about that mark not, not quite Okay. It didn't, it didn't quite happen as planned, is it? I mean, I'd like to say, so I made this great plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for the next 10 years, uh, it wasn't like that, I'm no. afraid. It was the, the software company that I was working for, a German organization, they ran into financial problems. I'd had a period um, before I got into software where I was working for a business transfer company, UK business transfer, which was selling all types of businesses. So that was a really good experience. And I had a guy there that, that taught me a lot. He was a mentor in explaining to me about business transfer and what was involved there. And I enjoyed that. So this German software company that I was working for, they ran into financial problems. They borrowed a lot of money. They, um, they basically spent all the money and they just, it just dried up. And they, they, I was part of the pan-European management team based in the UK. So I was managing director for the company in the UK. And we, I received a fax 
which came from the lawyers, which was quite unusual. You didn't see many faxes yeah. even in those days. And it said that the company had gone bust and they couldn't know, we could no longer sell the software, which yeah. was a problem because it had gone into the hand of the receivers. And also, where was the quarter of a million pounds that they'd sent me? <laughs> which was a big shock because they hadn't sent me a quarter of a million pounds because unfortunately the owner was doing some, uh, let's say, some things he shouldn't be with the finances. <laughs> yeah, quarter of a million is easy done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was more than that, I believe. Um, <laughs> it was more like five million that, that had, had to be accounted for. Jeez. Unfortunately... The, the, I had the same bank, so they, could, so they could when they they checked, they could see there'd been no money transfer transferred over to the UK yeah. um, branch, um, and there was a lot of anger because we'd been kept in the dark about the true state of the, the headquarters yeah. of the business, and because there'd been some underhand things going on, there'd been some false invoicing and lots of things we just totally unaware about. And there was a few of us that were quite angry about that. Yeah. And we decided to get together and without the, the German management, we would raise some money. Um, so we did. And we put together a business plan, which I, I got involved with. And I had background in, in M&A, which helped. And we raised uh, 1.3 million, I think it was. Wow. And we reformed the business into Novartis. Um, and... It was at that stage that I started to think sort of more long term and I could see that my role was likely to travel down this road where I was going to do a lot of traveling around Europe. And I had three young children no. <clears throat> and I thought, I don't know if I, I'd want to do that. I was, I was motivated because I was angry yeah. at the way that we'd been treated and what had been going on. But I thought, Ultimately, if we pull this off, I'm going to be sort of like a general manager traveling around Europe with the different branches. Um, I'm not going to get much home life. and I'm not going to see yeah. my kids much. So I, I was having a conversation. I was at uh, London Liverpool Street. We'd just got the money. We'd, uh, the forms had been signed. Uh, it was a property group in France that uh, put the money in. And we'd been over to France and we'd met the, the guy in charge. And it was three hard months. Sometimes I was working day and night to put the oh, business plans yeah. together and do everything. And I was pretty tired. And um, I phoned a friend of mine who had been helping with his contacts to reach out to people who poten potentially were interested in funding. And he said to me, brilliant, well done. He said, you must be really pleased. And that just started a conversation where I said, well, actually, I'm not thinking <laughs> I'm not. pleased. One, I'm tired. Yeah. And secondly, I don't know if this is, if I really stopped to think about it, I mean, I know it sounds daft after working so hard, but I don't know if that's the direction I want to go in. Yeah. And he had a business which was doing recruitment in the document management business. And that was the sector that I was working in at that time. And we had an hour and a half conversation on the telephone as I was walking back to the station where we started to explore this idea of us coming together to form a new type of business, which specialized within document management, which helped senior executives to find jobs. But ultimately what we would be about would be selling software development companies. Uh, and that's what we did. So in 1999, we came together and we used 
is then, I think he had a database of about 300 senior executives. And we, we built upon that. The business was called Document Boss in those days. That's okay. where the boss came from. Uh, and uh, we started to build that up. So doing headhunting, but then moved into mergers and acquisitions. At one time, we were doing both right. for a few years. And we got quite well known within the document management industry. It's still an area that we have quite a big focus on. Um, he, he, had, he ran into some health problems um, and he stayed with the business for a while. But when he sort of fully recovered, he wanted to take a little bit of an easier life, which yeah. I, I sort of understand. He had a brain abscess. Oh, right. Okay, which yeah. was, you know, it's quite serious. I remember him yeah. when he first called me. Yeah. Um, and I was, I think it was a Sunday night. And he said that it, I knew he'd been having headaches. Yeah. And then he started to get vision blacking out. Oh, I went to see him the next day in the hospital. He was really worried, but fortunately he had a brain operation and uh, he fully recovered. But yeah, I think he had about a year where he couldn't really drive and he wasn't yeah. really doing much. But fortunately we were able to, although the business was in the early days, we were able to support him. Yeah. But at the end of that, I think he wanted to go off and do something else. So I bought him out uh, and then later on changed the name of the company to Boss Equity. And we moved to merged because we'd done quite a number of deals internationally yeah. so we've we've done uh, M&A deals mergers and acquisition deals on four continents typically we work on the on the side of the company wanting to sell right, okay. rather than the company wanting to acquire but we can do either yeah and as we as we continued we found that actually we were sort of diversifying so we've we've specialized within the area of software technology that's that's where we're really comfortable yeah. Yeah, it's uh, funny, and we've been doing that for twenty-two years now. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How you always sort of find your path one way or another. Uh, yeah, and just that phone call at the at the railway station sort of yes. sort of changed. And I speak yes. to a lot of people, and there's always something. There's some someone said about pivoting. There's, there's always something happening yeah. that's like, oh god, that's. It, I think some. What if I hadn't picked up? Yeah. What if I hadn't picked up yeah. on that call? Would strange, it have happened? Isn't it? It's strange. Yeah. I think you would have found your path if you hadn't. Then something else would have happened. Oh, it you know? would. Yes, and it's it's happened. It's happened a number of times. I mean, interesting. I you know I mentioned two companies, and I think back again to that because as we progressed, I devised a methodology. We were quite different. We are different in the M&A world because we tend to work longer term with companies. Sometimes a company comes to us and they want to sell as quickly as possible, mm. and that's fine. But for others, they come to us because they sort of know us and we know the industry really well, and we help them to build the value of the business and prepare that business for when it's to be sold. Because a lot of people, they get taken advantage of, to be honest with you, in the yeah. M&A world in, yeah. various, in various ways. No. And I'm I'm always the fan of the the, the entrepreneur. I think um, you know they the people that are willing to go out there with an idea and just go for it and turn that into something of value. Yeah, we need lots of people like that. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't have a whole country of entrepreneurs um, yeah. because it just wouldn't work. But those people that are willing to go out there and create a business, they create employment. They, they, you know, they do a lot of good for the economy and they need to be rewarded so they go and do it again. Yeah. And I think when they have their business stolen from them, I mean, that's just wrong. 
Mm, yeah. Um, and it happens because how often are you going to sell your, your business? I know. It doesn't happen that often. And th there's a lot to learn. So we, a couple of my clients have, once we, we were doing a video interview, sort of a debriefing at the end to say, you know, how did you find the experience working with us and so on? We would use it for marketing. And he said, well, he said, I always saw you as my bodyguard. He said, if I knew I went into an M&A meeting, he said, although I'm an experienced businessman, yeah. And all of our clients, you know, they're, they're yeah. experienced business yeah. people. They're smart and they know what they're doing. But this is new for them. He said, I saw you there as my bodyguard. You're going to be looking after us. And he said, that's how it felt. And I became very comfortable at those meetings. He said, and there were a number of times when you stepped stepped in to stop something happening. Yeah, he said, cool. and that's what made the difference. Yeah. So, I was, I, I, you know, I was really satisfied with that. But as we were working... Uh, I couldn't cover all of the countries myself and brought other people into the business. I had to create a methodology. Yeah, and I mean, just, from, just just going back to that, Mark, obviously yep. you said that when you took over, you, you would have to travel Europe and things like that, and you had three small children. And, and the USA. Yep. There, is, that, is that where you're going now? Is that what you're on about? Yes. In the early days, did quite a lot of traveling. Um, but bit by bit, we stumbled across people that didn't come from a, a mergers and acquisitions background. They came from the software sector. They'd owned or they'd managed businesses themselves. So we preferred to bring somebody in that had the real world experience of know what it's like to run a business and train them in M&A yeah. rather than take an M&A person and try and get them to work our way. Yeah. That, that was our approach anyway. And um, I think it was the right decision. But in order to do that, we needed to devise a methodology. Uh, we, were, we were always strong on the marketing side, so we got our name out into the industry. Uh, we've got one of the longest-running newsletters, I think, out there, which we started in 1999, and it goes out weekly and monthly, Boss News, which has now become Boss Insights over the last few years, which is it's a newsletter where we don't advertise, very, very rarely, but it's just giving somebody... Uh, a quick scan of what's happening within the industry, you know, things of interest putting out there. And then over the last few years, I've been doing a podcast as well called Boss It, mm. where I do interviews like you're interviewing me, people from within the industry, people that have got a story, but things that I think will be of interest to people in the software tech industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this interests me because you're doing mergers and acquisitions, big money, big deals. I've yep. always been interested in the deal-making side of it. Now, right. me being a creative and a filmmaker, <clears throat> I've been in sessions where I've had to pitch. I've had yep. to pitch for a, a script or a story to investors or producers. Yep. And I could talk to you all day, Mark, and we'll get on fine. But when you put me in front of someone to pitch, I hate it because right. I feel the pressure because I know... Yep. I need to just be myself. But because I've yes. got that pressure behind me, it just messes me. <laughs> it really pisses me off. Now, you, yeah. you must deal with some uh, massive, you know, deals. Yes. What sort of tips, what, what tips can you give me? What, what's the key? <laughs> <laughs> well, you named one of them, which was mm. to be yourself. Mm. And, and to be yourself... You, you need to be comfortable in, in what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that there's not, often there's not enough preparation gone into that presentation. And also people try to get too complicated. They try to convey too much information too soon. 
Yeah. So, so we work with our clients and we will get them to present to us. We get them to present to us right at the very start and then probably halfway through it. And we'll work with them to help them create um, a slide deck, but also just to become more comfortable in how, in, how to present and, and how to best present the most relevant information to potential buyers of their company. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, I think, well, there's lots of mistakes that people make. One of them is creating slide decks where they, they put on there every word that they want to say in these bullet points. That, I think, you're, you would probably find very difficult. Um, you can talk on this podcast and you can be relaxed and authentic and you want to come across in the same way yeah. you know, when, you're, when you're talking to people. You don't have to have every possible um, bit of information lodged in your head to answer it. If you don't know the answer, just say to them and you'll get back to them. But I think giving them a, a very good understanding at a high level of what you do in a way without using acronyms or being too technical is a great starting place. And then yeah. you can start to move down into the more detail later. Yeah. But a lot of people seem to skip that. And they go right down into the detail. And that's because I think that a lot of the time, if you're a software um, developer and you're selling software solutions on a day-to-day basis internally, you're talking at a detail level. It, talking to customers, you're probably talking at a detail level. But this also applies to prospects. When you start with somebody who's new to your business, you've got to start right at the top. Yeah. Clarity understanding and don't overload them yeah and i think that's a good point because i think what what we what i've done in the past is i'm thinking oh my god what i'm trying to think of how i can sell myself whereas what i should be doing is just thinking just talk to this this other person's a human being just yes. tell them what what you're pitching just tell them but you've got this ego this this mind going you need to tell this and you need to get this in a lot of use and you overdo it and then it's awful and i think yeah there's good points what you what you said there definitely i think a, i think a slide deck can be useful but do it visually mm. when you put too much tech I, my guideline is try and create a slide deck where the slides don't contain more than six words mm. In the, in the software sector, one of the worst things I see is where they create, they try to create a visual, but actually they create what's called, a, I call a word diagram. It's sort of lots of shapes with lots of words inside and nobody understands it but them. <laughs> yeah. and, every, and everyone sits and nods at it. Yeah. And they'll walk away and they'll go, I haven't got a clue what that meant. Yeah. But, Simplicity you know. is, is the key, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. Being, you know, communication is, is very, very important. And, and that actually is is where I decided to start my second business, which is, uh, oh, it says it hasn't quite gone up on the wall yet. And I don't know if you can see this. <laughs> yeah, we can see. Yeah. Here we go. Outsmart. Yeah. yeah. So remember, remember Outsmart, outsmartstrategy.com. Yeah. So tell us, so th- that was my that, question. So tell well, us it's sort of, that then, Mark. this sort of bring things back in a bit of a circle. So the creative side of me, I guess, um, I get more of an outlet there. Yeah. Although I do with boss equity as well, but I said about the methodology that devised for boss equity, one module of that, so we had five modules, which was around positioning. It was marketing fuel, sales engine, 
management drivers and exit, you know, the exit strategy. One aspect of that, and all of those are important when you're looking to sell your business, and you, you shouldn't avoid any of those, but one aspect which I could see could have implications for actually any business, yeah. doesn't have to be software tech, was what we called competitive space. Mm. And it was around strategic positioning and what we call scientific-based messaging communication. And it's how people communicate to their market in a way that is engaging and compelling. And I studied psychology when I was at, when I was at college, and I loved that. And um, so psychology and understanding about the way the brain works. And then I met a guy called Neil Cumming. And that was another pivotal moment yeah. where I was explaining to him about what we did with boss equity and the different aspects and this thing called competitive space. And I said, I've devised a methodology here. I said, it really works. You know, we're selling businesses way above the expectations. You know, they're always these sort of multiples times EBITDA or times revenue, whatever they want to do that they say, you know, and there's a range. And we were exceeding that. And I said, I think the biggest part of that is, is understanding the importance of strategic positioning and clear communication. And I said, there's a, there's a big implication for this outside of just when you want to sell your business. It, yeah. it could be for any business at any stage. Um, and I said, if people come to me when they want to sell the business, I'd actually really like to run with competitive space and use that, have that as a service uh, for businesses you know, when they weren't thinking to sell. And uh, we did a couple of um, assignments together, which went very, very well. I mean, amazingly well. And we said, this has really got some legs. So over 18 months, we further developed it. And his background is, is as a cognitive, applied cognitive scientist wow. and a communications guy, and he'd been in marketing. So our skills really fitted together very, very well. And we both thought visually, and the visual aspect of what we call this service, which we call competitive space, is very, very important. Yeah. Um, and it's something, it was a big gap in the market. So we, we're doing that and we're working with companies that really want to take their business to the next level. And it will power their marketing and it will power their sales, but it's not, we're not a marketing agency. Yeah. It's strategic positioning. It's positioning their businesses. And giving them a way that they can easily explain what it is that they do and why it's important and what, how they us, can do that to a much wider market. Is that what's beyond the psychology of it, Mark? Tell us a little yes. bit about that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's multi-layered. Um, it's, it's something we could probably have a separate podcast on and we could spend the whole day <laughs> talking about it. Um, but at a, you know, to, as, a, as an overview, it, it is about understanding your business within the market that it sits. Yeah. We operate in different markets. And it's understanding your business against your competition. So that's the sort of the first layer. And then it's being able to articulate who and what you are in a way that is really clearly understandable. Yeah. And then to create key messaging around what is the real strength within your business. So there's a lot of work that goes into yeah, that and it's yeah. work that, that people typically don't do. Yeah. It's, it's just bloody hard. Yeah. It is, it is really, really hard, 
but when you get it right, it just makes an amazing difference. Yeah. And I've seen that work with businesses, you know, some of these software businesses where they get a hundred million, they've got a hundred million in the bank to invest. They have got the money to employ as many specialist experts to come in and do this work. But the typical software company out there, you know, can't, can't do that. It is. It's interesting, isn't it? And it goes back to what I was saying earlier when I went to this carpentry company. Um, I think there's a lot of companies out there that just rest on the laurels. They're just they're making a bit of a profit and they're happy. But then one yes. day something comes along and knocks them down, and they weren't quick enough to react or improve. You know, continuous improvement and all that kind of thing. Yes. And I, I see this as sort of you know you've got some brilliant companies. Um, and they're not having their potential, are they? And this is where no. you're going in and saying, look at all this that you're missing out on. Um, and it takes the company to realize that, doesn't it? It does, yes. And, and I think it's quite difficult when you're working in that business every day to look at your business objectively. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you're too close to it a lot of the time. Yeah. But the the opportunity to be able to when people look at your business, it's to make that, to get that emotional buy-in mm. because people, even in B2B, so even when you're, when you're at work and you're buying for your company, people will still favor those companies where they can get some sort of emotional connection. Yeah. How do you, how do you create that? Yeah. yeah. And the, 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 the interesting thing is that I, I looked at over, 400, nearly 450 of the most successful software technology businesses. And I looked at those businesses from all different aspects. It's been going on for over three and a half years now. And what I was seeing as the common denominator was their communication, mm. how they articulated and positioned themselves, and then how they articulated that to the market. It wasn't down to the quality of their software. There was, you know, the software has to work. Yeah. yeah. That's a given. That's a given. That's like saying, you know, the, the, the engine on the car has to turn on. Yeah, all cars do that. They'll yeah. get you from A to B. But what makes those certain manufacturers far more successful in the software sector, the range is enormous. Yeah. The, the, there's a 1%, less than 1% of the companies that we studied that were the fastest growing companies. We called it the Bamboo Report. Yeah. And the common denominators from that very much fell in line with what we were seeing yeah. and using cognitive science about understanding the way that the mind works is being able to communicate because in social media, you've probably got three or four seconds to be able to communicate <laughs> yeah. a point to, to hook someone's interest. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you do that specifically for my business or for my product, or for my solution? Yeah. And the, having the key to unlock that is very powerful. Once you've got that attention, you need the attention, first of all, in a very noisy world. Once you've got that, then how do you create understanding yeah. as to what it is that you do? And then how do you help the client to see the benefits that you will provide? Well, that process, if you get that right, the difference is the difference between struggling and maybe the business failing and the businesses that especially in the software sector, they, they can grow to astronomical oh, sizes can imagine, yeah. very, very quickly. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because, um, because I watch so many films and things like that. Uh, 
a few years ago they started doing the trailers. Well, what they'd do, yes. they'd do a four or five second blip example before the main. Um, yep. And as that as that started happening, I started noticing. You know, people uh, didn't really notice it, but I noticed it years ago when they first started doing it. I thought, why are they doing that? But yeah. what I didn't realise is every time they did it, uh, and I enjoyed them five seconds, I'd watch the whole trailer. But if yes. I didn't really like it, I probably wouldn't watch the trailer. And yeah. then obviously I read up more on it, and and it's that short attention span, isn't it? We all want. We haven't got time <coughs> to look right. at something for minutes now. We want catches in those four or five seconds. And if we're interested, Absolutely. we're in. That's a very, very good example, Lee, actually, mm, is yeah. that those trailers, those trailers I put, put together for those film companies by specialists, that's what they do. They understand how to put that trailer together to capture your attention. That is if you're their target market. Mm. You know, not every film is going to be of interest to you. But the key thing is, is in a very short time frame, is to be able to communicate to the right people why you should watch, why you should listen, why you should spend your time in yeah. learning more. Yeah. Get their attention. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Now, yeah. um, another part to you, Mark. God, you, I don't know why you sit still, mate, to be fair. I don't know why you found the time <laughs> to do this podcast. You've got that much going on. But obviously, fitness. Um, yes. I spoke to you the other day, and you'd just been to the gym, and you look like a well-groomed, you know. Uh, fitness has always been a big part of your life, and I'll try yes. to stay fit and healthy as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Is that your switch-off? Is that the, the way you regenerate? How does that work? Um, my, well, my switch off is, is, is photography and fitness, but fitness is something that has been with me. You know, people say to me, how do you keep it up? How do you stay so disciplined? Um, the thing is, there's been very few periods in my life where I haven't done that. Yeah. I, I think I read my first, this sounds a bit weird. <laughs> I read my first book on fitness when I was seven years old age. And I started, I started running around the playground because I understood that you had to train to get better. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's always been there. I, I, I used to compete as a triathlete. I've done martial arts. I've played football. Um, I've done, I do boxing training even now because it's a very good um, form of, of fitness training. And I go to the gym five times a week and go running. Um, a, it, I think it helps with energy levels. B, it's, it's a time when you, you can switch off. Um, and to me, I once likened it. I was, I was doing a, a seminar and I was talking about M&A and I was talking about, you know, for us, our job is about looking after our clients and, and, and helping them in whatever area. And I said, it, it might even come down to fitness advice. And I said, for me, fitness is like a giant oak tree that I can put my arms around and hold on to. It's static. And no matter how hard the wind blows, I'm going to be stuck there. It, it gives me that stability. And I've always thought of my fitness in that yeah. respect. And, it, and it's something that I, I wouldn't want to be without. But it's... It's not an effort. It, it's it's a habit. It yeah. really is a habit. And that's it's, it's a, like healthy eating. Yeah, and that's a good thing to get it as a habit. I speak to a lot of people about mental health, and we always talk about exercise. 
And I think the key is to get it is into a habit um, because all too often people will do it because they think they've got to. Um, yes. And then the problem is they don't get it into a routine and there's a habit. And once they stop, they never go back. And it's so important for mental health. And I'm not saying, look, go boxing or go got marathon, even a walk round the block, just something to just breathe a bit of fresh air or just get the heart pumping is so important. Yes. It's a, it, there's a number of things to that. I think partly education, where there's confusion, people don't quite understand because there's the, the problem with the internet, pre-internet days, people used to think the problem was lack of information. Now with the internet, we've got the problem of an overload of information. Because <laughs> yeah. what whatever I would say to you now about fitness, you'd be able to do a Google and find somebody who would say completely the opposite. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do you go with, you know? I know, yeah. Um, it's, it, it can be very difficult, but I think that there is an education there. But whatever you do as regards fitness, make sure that you enjoy it. I see, I see sometimes people midwinter that uh, they, they look like they've just started running. And they're <laughs> yeah. running in shorts and a vest and they're, they're red, they're cold. You know, their nose is running and yeah. they just look miserable and they're, tr they're running through the rain. And I think... <laughs> That's not the way to, to be able to keep up a long-term fitness regime. I mean, some people, they toughen themselves and they can go through that. But if you start out, make sure you enjoy it. Um, I, I managed a gym many, many years ago. And I used to see people that used to come along to the gym and they just didn't know enough. They didn't quite put in enough effort to, to see any results and it be, it became very boring to them. Yeah, you, you've got to find a way to to make it work for you. Yeah, definitely. And also, you've got to be able to see the benefits. If you put effort in, you want to see some results. Yeah. And you need basic inf basic education to be able to do that. Yeah. And you've got to enjoy it. Yeah. Now, I always ask my guests, "What's the best bit of advice they've ever?" being given or could give uh, it seems like you don't stop mark you're very hard working what sort of is there a good bit of advice you've ever been given or something you could think you could give people? well um yeah i suppose i've been given a good advice lots of times um <laughs> it's just a couple of things a couple of couple of things spring to mind yeah um when i was doing business transfer my mentor, there was a guy um, that said to me, if, if, you, if you're ambitious, he said, you need to be able to reach out for goals. He said, but in order to be able to do that and grip with this hand, you've got to let go with that hand. <laughs> right, yeah. And I thought, yeah, I sort of, I, I, often, I often think about that one. I think that's right, that there are certain times, maybe these pivotal moments where you, you do have to reach out and you do have to let go of what's gone yeah. in the past. You can't do everything. and No, no. And that's a, there's a change. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then I remember uh, my father saying to me, if you've got uh, a bit of cabbage stuck between your teeth, who tells you? <laughs> <laughs> And he said, well, he said, your enemy won't tell you yeah. um, because what they will be too busy is telling everyone else that you've got a bit of cabbage stuck between your teeth. 
people who don't really care, they won't be bothered because it's a bit embarrassing to go up to someone and say, actually, by the way, you've got a bit of cabbage, you know, just stuck <laughs> in your teeth there. He said, but your friend, no matter that it is embarrassing, and there's a little bit of awkwardness in saying, you know, you, you've got this cabbage stuck between your teeth, they'll tell you regardless. <laughs> and I think that's, that's something that I've always thought is, you know, you have to be frank and you sometimes have to say things that would be easier not said. It's easier sometimes not to say those things. And that's how I interpreted that. And I always, I always, I mean, people that know me will probably be smiling at the stage. I, I tend to be fairly frank and, and, and straightforward about things. Uh, if it needs to be said, and, and I think, you know, it's important, even if it's difficult, I will say it and, and I will hope that people will do the same to me because that is about being a true friend. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I like that in people because as long as you know it's coming from the right place, yes, your friends and people that know you will know that. Yes. Then, you know, if I make a mess or I screw up, you know, tell me. I mean, the best yes. thing is my wife. She will easily <laughs> lay me down flat if I do something wrong. And I've yes. learned so much from her. And I think, but I know, she's not saying it to be spiteful or horrible. Well, sometimes she is. But, <laughs> you know, it's coming from the right place. And I think that. Yes. And how you deliver it. I mean, you wouldn't do it at a party in room from, in front of a lot of people. You'd take somebody to one side. But you do need to say it. Yeah. So they were the things that spring to mind anyway. There's probably lots of other things, you know, words of wisdom that have been said to me that that occur to me now and again in different situations. Good stuff. Now, I always ask my guests for a favourite. So whether it's a favourite book or a film or food, just something that you enjoy or and something that maybe listeners can get hold of or watch. Um, Did you think of a favourite, Mark? Um. Well, a favourite film, I always say Midnight Express, the story of Billy Hayes. I watched that Uh, for a few years. No, I I watched that when it first came out. I was studying photography at the time and I'd been walking around taking photographs and I was just exhausted. And I saw this film, I thought, I just need somewhere to go and sit down and have a rest. Um, And I saw this film, I had no idea what it was about, Midnight Express, and I I intended to go in there and just fall asleep in the dark, to be honest, before I went home. This film came on, and I was captivated by it. And and I went home, and the very next day, I saw an interview with the real Billy Hayes, and I thought, wow, that was was really amazing. Um, Business-wise, The Power of Simplicity by Jack Trout, which was written quite a few years ago. I do read quite a lot, um, read a lot of business books, um, you know, each year. Um, I actually, I probably read less now um, as you build up a sort of backlog of experience. And I don't come across that many really good books, but... um, Power of Simplicity. Power of Simplicity by Jack Trout. He was very well known for doing uh, a book with Al Reese about positioning the battle for your mind, which is another very good book. That's a marketing classic, but the power of simplicity. And I, I, it did make me smile. Yeah. And, and it, that's, I, I, he, he talks about how people can overcomplicate things. It's about keeping it simple. Oh, nice. I, ke- I ke- everyone I keep asking, I think they're going to say a food or a, 
a place or sort of film. <laughs> they keep giving me books, and I've got. I'm not kidding you. I've got a list like this. The last six months, I've got a book pile of this. I've only got through about three of them. <laughs> they are amazing. Well, do, you, do you want to place? I'll give you my favourite place. Oh my yeah. My favourite place at the moment is Santorini, Greek oh, island. Yeah, I've never been, and it's one place we were talking about. It's supposed to be stunning, isn't it? Beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. Yes. Again, stumbled upon it by accident. Got there and went. Wow. I think I did a little bit of research the day before I went. And it was listed as one of the top three most beautiful places, most beautiful islands in the world. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely is. The it's always in the top three. And the, the, the villages and that are stunning, aren't they? I've seen all that. They are. Yeah. Lovely food, very friendly people. Um, just stay away from the, the most touristy spots because that can get a bit crowded. But the rest of the island is beautiful. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get a chance to go away next year. Yes, that's right. It's Not much this year. No. Right. Now, um, if you, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, if you could give us sort of where your website or your social media, okay. Mark. So, um, for Outsmart, which is the company about positioning and communication, it's outsmartstrategy.com. Yeah. And if you've got a software company that you're thinking that sometime in the future you'll be wanting to sell, don't come to us when you want it sold next week because that doesn't work. <laughs> You need to think plenty in advance. Uh, I would advise you at least three years. Wow. Think in that terms. BossEquity.com. And your podcast and called Boss Equity. What, uh, sorry. My, 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 pod, my, my podcast is called Boss It. Boss It. B-O-S-S hyphen I-T. I did. Boss It. And that's on Apple and a few other platforms as well. I did listen to a couple of them. You're speaking to a... A speaker. I can't remember what it was. Oh yes, yes that yes. Um, just Michael. Yes, I'm yeah, talking to was Michael. It, yeah. yes. And uh, I mean, we've we've flew through the time, but uh, if people want to see your photography, which we haven't really spoke about, Mark, which is fantastic, uh, is there a place they can visit to to see? There your is actually good. It's a good timely. I haven't. I'm, I'm in the process of creating um, a specific website, but at the moment, my my images can be found on Flickr, uh, the Flickr website, which is F L I C K R. But if you just do a search for Mark L Edwards photography, yeah. it will come up top of Google. Yeah. I've got couple of thousand images on there. I think oh, broken down into some of some of them are, are stunning, mate. So thank you. And, I, and I, can see, I can see from the way you work, that's your little outlet, isn't it? That's your... It is. That's your, yes. We all, we all need that. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's nice. When you've got a camera in your hand, I think you see things. It really opens your eyes. It's like being a child again. You're really looking. And also, uh, now and again, I get the opportunity to do a bit of charity work and use the photography. And... Um, uh, that that provides some satisfaction you know it feels like you're giving something back yeah and uh it it, it probably uh makes me feel less guilty about spending all that money on cameras and lenses <laughs> and lighting and stuff yeah just don't tell anyone that's what i do yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was only cheap yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right that's how a hobby grabs you doesn't it it's like how much is that camera 20 grand yeah i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, pay, I'll pay weekly yeah, right. <laughs> the best. well the yeah. good thing is now i mean photography you know your phone the camera i mean i know you know the, the basic uh, camera. On oh, the they can do amazing oh, things on iPhone. Oh. Yeah, I 
I haven't done much with an iPhone, but actually, funny enough, I was on a run uh, a couple two weeks ago, just running near where I live, and it was early in the morning, and there was a frosty morning, and looking out over the valley, and I thought I can't run past that, and I got my iPhone out, took a shot posted it up on Flickr and I don't think anyone would notice. I yeah. mean, some of my lenses, they cost a few grand, but this yeah. was just from the iPhone, yeah. but it, it, you know, it was good enough to put up on the wall. So, yeah. You know. and I've got portrait mode now where you can choose your F stop and all sorts. It's just, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It um, is. But anyway, look, thanks ever so much. I could have talked to you for a lot. Now, uh, next year, come back, you know, next year when we're all a bit normal and we'll have a, have another chat. Yes, to, love to definitely. And I like, I like what you're doing. I, I, uh, I've had a lot of people contact me over the last few weeks and I wasn't doing many podcasts, but yeah. I liked the idea behind my way of thinking and I, and I liked your rules. That's what really <laughs> appealed to me. And I thought, yeah, I'd like to have a chat with this guy. Good. No, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, we've, I've been doing it through lockdown, and hopefully the audience will just keep growing and growing. And, and just, yes, you know, it takes time because you've got to build up that backlog and enough things that is going to be of interest. And that's what I I did. I yeah. just went out there, did lots of recordings, not really trying to push it too much. Yeah. Because I wanted people to come and find something of interest to yeah. them. Yeah, that's the key. Well, look, make sure you look after yourself. Don't work too hard. No. Um, and I will I'm, speak to you soon. All right. Thank you very much, Lee. Okay, Good to speak to you. Thank you, Mark. Take Cheers. care. Cheers. Bye. So that's it. Massive thanks again to Mark Edwards for joining me today uh, and also you for listening or watching. Make sure you follow the podcast because coming up over the next few months, there are some more extraordinary interviews. If you haven't listened to some before, make sure you go back in the back catalogue and have a listen. There's some crackers there. Uh, the podcast will be streaming on the usual platforms, including iTunes and Spotify, so please leave a rating on there and subscribe. To keep up to date, follow Facebook, which is My Way of Thinking podcast, and also Twitter, My Way of Thinking, without a G on the end of three instead. Uh, every week, I also put the whole conversation on YouTube. That's My Way of Thinking podcast. Uh, we're also on Instagram. Did I mention that? Yeah, my what podcast were on there as well. And if you do want to get in touch or you think you know someone who might be a great guest, then just email me. It's my what podcast at AOL.com. Listen, thanks ever so much for listening in. Make sure you stay safe um, and I will speak to you next week. <laughs>